The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. So, KC, you know my wife, Nicole. I do. What do you think is the second closest intimate relationship I have in my life? Oh, um, I'm going to say maybe a pet at home. Well, yeah, sort of. Winston, my dog. But I was thinking more of my my pillow, which I have an incredibly intimate relationship with every night. I love this freaking thing. So I bought my first my pillow about seven, eight months ago because I love American companies and American innovation and entrepreneurs. So I figured, okay, this is an American thing. So I'm going to buy it. Since I bought that first my pillow, I have four on my bed, two on my guest room bed, two on the other guest room bed. I have three of the travel ones in my airplane, four of them in my bus, and I actually have two with me here in Puerto Rico that I travel with that are in my wardrobe box when I shoot TV. Every night of my life, I sleep with a freaking my pillow, and I now can't sleep without them. I love these things. What's amazing to me is how it stays cool all night. I don't wake up. There's no flipping it over. You don't even think about it anymore, and my head doesn't sink. It keeps its shape. So it's cool and it keeps its shape. I'm not fluffing it. I'm not folding it over, doing any of the things that I used to do with other pillows. And now they have a money-back guarantee until March 1st. Try it, don't like it, and return it. So it comes with a 10-year warranty, and I don't know of any pillow that actually comes with anything like that. And you can throw it in a washer and dryer, and it's like new. All that is great, but what's great about my pillow is the my pillow itself. It is the best pillow I've ever used, and I guarantee that my listeners will love it. So go to MyPillow.com, click on the buy one, get one free special, and use code TAFFER, and you'll get one free pillow when you buy one at regular price plus shipping. Take advantage of their best offer. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the buy one, get one free special, and enter promo code TAFFER. And this isn't here in the spot, but I'm going to say it. You will be glad you did. I love these freaking things. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. Well, here it is, December 3rd, 2018. I am sitting here on the beautiful ocean in Puerto Rico. And it's time for another edition of my No Excuses podcast. But before we even get going, make sure you hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts or go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app, and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. Also, if you want to be on the show with me and be one of our listener call-ins, just send an email. It's easy. Send an email to podcast at johntaffer.com, podcast at johntaffer.com, and we'll get you on the show. And talking about on the show, we got Jordan Harbinger this week, who's one of my favorite uh, younger motivational speakers. He has an amazing story. He went from a hacker to an FBI informant, almost like one of those movies that you've seen, KC, where they take the criminal and they turn him into a good guy. Oh, yeah. Well, Jordan is that. I mean, he was a hacker that the FBI started to use uh, 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 on their side. It's a fascinating story. I also got some great uh, uh, listener calls from Long Island, Boston, Toledo, Chicago, Columbus, and Canton, Ohio. Uh, so this is going to be a great episode. And I got to thank my sponsors, of course, as always, MyPillow, Quicken Loans, Pluto TV, and True Car. Well, 
right behind me is the ocean, and I'm sitting here in Puerto Rico. And I must say, I haven't been back since I did Operation Puerto Rico. So I haven't been back here, and I guess it's about six, seven months, and things are much better down here. They really are. When you drive around, there's very few buildings that people want to repair that aren't. Uh, uh, The power is working. All the systems seem to be working. People have their new cars. Businesses seem to be going. So things are starting to come together down here, which is really, really exciting to see. Unfortunately, it took too long for it to happen. But uh, I'm really excited to be down here, and it's an amazing day. And uh, right now, Casey, I'm talking to you from the Canado Vanderbilt Hotel in Old San Juan. If you've never been to Old San Juan, the streets are, I don't know, eight foot wide. And it's just like you expect a Caribbean, old Caribbean city to be. I almost think I'm going to see a pirate around a corner, Casey, which worries me a little bit. (laughs) And if you remember the pirates episode (laughs) from Bar Rescue, some people call me an anti-pirate or whatever the hell that would be. uh, uh, Because I'm not very pro-pirate after that uh, episode. But I love it here. And uh, anybody who ever is thinking of taking a vacation, and look, I'm not a pitch man for Puerto Rico, but you can come to a Caribbean island. There's no passport needed to come here. They use the U.S. dollar. They speak English. The beaches are incredible. There's a rainforest down here, forts down here. If you haven't thought about coming to Puerto Rico, you should. It's a great place for a vacation. Old San Juan is really freaking cool. So I got a question for you, KC. Okay. You know when you open a beer? You're a beer-drinking guy, right? I am. <laughs> I love a great beer. So, so you know when you pop a beer, there always seems to be a fly around, like if you're sitting outside at a barbecue. It's a fascinating thing. Flies and insects tend to go to uh, open bottles and cans of beer. Well, I got the answer for you because I know this has been bothering you for many, many years. We actually figured it out. Believe it or not, flies are attracted to carbon dioxide. They've never noticed that before. And what happens is when fruit ferments, it creates carbon dioxide, and that's what attracts the insects. So when you open that can of beer, Casey, what the heck comes out? (laughs) Carbon dioxide. Bingo. So the insects are flying over for our cans of beer. So now it seems like it's a little ridiculous that it's 2018 and we just figured this the fuck out. I don't understand that, (laughs) but we did. So now we understand that if you're around carbon dioxide, insects are going to be attracted to you. Which is a good reason to take a shower, I guess. (laughs) So did you hear about the former manager from the Department of Defense Aerospace Threat Program? So this guy's been there for God knows how many years. He retires. Now, this is the dude. This is the guy. He was the manager of the Department of Defense Aerospace Threat Program. This was the guy that studies UFOs and alien visits, and all the Blue Book reports and everything would come to him. Well, he retired, and now that he's retired, he's telling us that the government's been lying to us, and KC, they're here. (laughs) I knew it! (laughs) So, they're here. Apparently that we've had interactions and ships and ruins, and there's all this stuff going on that we don't know about, but uh, uh, um, he's talking up a storm now. But it's all over line, uh, online. You should take a look at some of the articles, some of the quotes. I got to tell you, I've never been much of a believer in that. And my wife, Nicole, watches all these shows. She loves all the alien stuff, you know, declassified. And I always laugh at Giorgio on that show. And God bless him. I think he's a good guy. His hair, by the way, is legendary. If you've ever seen it, he's got about, I guess, maybe 14 inches of height out of his hair. But he is remarkable at his sentence structure. He'll say things like, I think it might be conceivable that it's possible 
that at some point aliens might have conceivably, possibly visited a conceivable location that was possibly in this place. <laughs> I've never seen sentences mean less or be more qualified in my life than I do on that show. So I'm not a big believer in this alien stuff. I am. However, I have an open mind. And when I look at some of it, it does make me scratch my head when you look at some of the evidence that they have, of course. So I'm not a guy to say it. it's not possible. I'm just a guy to think that it's not very likely. <laughs> I, After looking at these things online, I've got a different attitude, buddy. Uh, uh, I think it's probably more likely than not right now. And, and it was amazing to read this stuff. And he's not making money on this. It's not that he's doing it through a book. So uh, uh, we should all look online <laughs> and read this stuff and just uh, – Keep your eyes open for green dudes running around. You know what I mean? <laughs> so imagine this, Casey. You go to get married. You're excited. You meet the girl of your dreams. You're in Washington, D.C. You want to get married. You go to the marriage bureau. You happen to be from the state of New Mexico. Your wife or future wife happens to be from Washington, D.C. You go to the marriage counter. You go to file your papers. When you present your state identification to the woman behind the counter, she looks at you and says, you're a foreigner. I need your passport. He says, no, no, no. I'm from New Mexico. Not Mexico. New Mexico. This is a state. I'm an American. She goes, no. I need your passport. I will not issue your license. He asks for a supervisor. The supervisor comes to the counter. Now, this is our government at work, folks. <laughs> the supervisor says, nope, you need a passport. This is a foreign application. The two people that ran this bureau in one did not know that New Mexico is a freaking state. Oh. <laughs> so he had to go to the third supervisor up to get his marriage license. And they were convinced that New Mexico was, in fact, another country. <laughs> and that he needed to state uh, a passport to get his license. I thought that was a pretty incredible story. And, and, and she's think about the fact that that person probably voted. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they're completing forms that might even have your name on them, Casey. Oh. Who the hell knows? But they're doing something in that office that's a little scary when you hear things like that. So guy goes hang gliding. This is online. Funny story. Guy goes, and you got to see the video. It's online, folks. You know, KC, I think we should create maybe a Facebook page and post some of the videos and articles that we talk about here on the show. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it for sure. Let's do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that going this week. We're going to form a special uh, No Excuses Facebook page, and we'll post the articles and the photos and things that we talk about here. We'll start doing that next week. So Guy goes out for his first time on, his, on a hang glider. Now, a hang glider isn't the ones that you sit in, KC. They're the ones you hang on. Right with the wings above you and near that, you know, tubular metal structure and your body hangs underneath it. Right. He goes up with an instructor. The instructor doesn't hook up the cable to him. No. So he's holding his hands on the metal thing. They jump off the cliff and he realizes he's not cabled to it. So now he's hanging on to the bars for all life and he's hundreds of feet in the air. And he flies this way for two minutes and 14 seconds with the instructor trying to find a place to land the thing without killing him as he's hanging there on his hands, slipping, almost letting go at any second. <laughs> you got to see the video <laughs> online. It's unbelievable. So the instructor forgets the safety cable. <laughs> this guy hung on for dear life for two minutes and 14 seconds. <laughs> it's an amazing thing to see. So, oh, jeez. 
I don't know. I wouldn't go up one of those things without the safety cable. Now, do you, you know, get a refund on something like that after that experience? You know, I wonder if you do get a refund. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think sometimes maybe they just you know give you a re time. You get a free next time. <laughs> You know, which is the old restaurant trick. I'm sorry your steak wasn't perfect tonight. Let me give you a coupon. Your next one is free. You know, that that's uh, one way of doing it. <laughs> Years ago, I flew on a flight from Northwest Airlines uh, on from uh, Detroit to Chicago. I'll never forget this, Casey, from Detroit. I'm sorry, from Detroit to Los Angeles. And the plane took off, and as we're in the air, suddenly once we hit like 15,000, 18,000 uh, uh, feet high, we start to smell garlic in the cockpit of the plane. It was unbelievable. And the stench of garlic is coming into the plane to the point that your Coke tastes like garlic, your dinner <laughs> tastes like garlic, and people's eyes start to tear. It got so bad that the pilot came on the PA system and apologized and said, we have 60,000 pounds of garlic underneath in storage. We apologize for the inconvenience. There was a mess up in shipping, but uh, uh, we'll do the best we can to keep fresh air in the cabin. For the rest of the flight, this whole thing stunk of garlic. Casey, it was unbearable, man. I'm going to a friend's wedding. We land in the airport. The carousel door opens, and all the luggage comes out in the carousel, and immediately I smell what? Garlic. Garlic. Oh. The entire freaking baggage claim area now stinks of, of garlic. So now I take my suitcase out. I go out to my friend's car. I throw my suitcase in the trunk of his car. I get in the car. As we're driving to his house, what does the car smell like, Casey? Garlic. It stinks for freaking garlic. So now I'm, I can't believe that now I have this. It's almost like the beast from the Seinfeld episode. I can't get rid of the garlic. So I now go to his house. I bring the suitcase in. Now the house stinks of what, Casey? Garlic. Like I can't believe how it, the stench is unbelievable. So now I open my suitcase. I take my clothes on hangers and I hang them in the garage of his house to air them out before the wedding. Right? Pretty logical choice. I leave him there for about four or five hours. Finally, I go back out. and We leave the garage door open, too. I go back out into the garage. I open the door. And what does it smell like, Casey? <laughs> garlic. Unfucking believable how much garlic <laughs> it stinks from. So now I have to take my suit and send it to the dry cleaners before the wedding the next day because it stinks of garlic. So I take my suit. I send it to the dry cleaner. We get it back the next day right before the wedding at about noon. And, he, and the dry cleaner says to my friend, listen. I cleaned it three times <laughs> through the machine, but unfortunately, it still smells like what, Casey? Garlic. <laughs> it still stinks some freaking garlic. So I put on the suit. The stench isn't that bad now. He actually did a pretty good job. So now I'm in my friend's house. I go to put the suit on, which did stink of garlic. Now it only smells of garlic. And I go to zip up my pants, and a freaking dry cleaner melted the zipper. <laughs> so now I go to this wedding in jeans with my suit jacket. All because they put garlic on this Northwest flight in Detroit, I had these series of events that chased me throughout the city of Los Angeles. So being who I am, I sat down and I wrote a pretty nasty letter to, to Northwest Airlines about this freaking garlic and a whole incident. And you know what they did for me, Casey? Guessing probably a free ticket, maybe? A $25 travel certificate is what they sent me. <laughs> And that was the last time I ever flew on Northwest Airlines. But wow. I can't believe I, I even just told that story. I haven't thought about it in many years. But that was the garlic trip from freaking hell. Anyway, I was looking online at great Christmas gifts. And I got some pretty good ones. You know, so many people are growing beards today, right? It's such a hipster, cool thing to do. They now sell beardaments, which are little mini Christmas decorations, <laughs> ornaments, if you will, that you can hang from your beard. 
I think they should make tiny little lights. What do you think, Casey? Put little <laughs> lights in there. And, and, <laughs> how about this one? The talking Trump bottle opener. There it is. <laughs> so, so the only thing about the talking Trump bottle opener is you're terrified by what it's going to freaking say next. <laughs> That's the whole premise of it. When it opens its mouth, you're horrified, surprised, <laughs> but it's always an emotional thing every time that bottle opener speaks up. How about this one, Casey? Did you like the show Breaking Bad? Oh, I loved it. One of my favorites of all time. Yeah, it was one of my favorite shows as well. So somebody created a small little RV, model RV. So it's, I don't know, 12 inches by three inches you know, wide and tall. And it looks like the RV that they cooked meth in in Breaking Bad, but it's an incense burner. Oh, wow. So you put the incense in the little RV, and the smoke comes out the top, and it looks like they're cooking meth in Breaking Bad. <laughs> Not a bad Christmas gift, huh? It's in my Amazon uh, shopping cart right now, John. Okay, so is that what you're doing? You're checking shit off as I'm doing it here. Okay. There's a cooler with a built-in blender. I thought that was pretty cool. That's cool. So you flip the top over, and there's a blender built right into it, buddy. So you got your, your margarita mix and, and you know your tequila, a little triple sec. You got your blender. You're good to go, which reminds me. I didn't tell you about my mixer line, did I, KC? No. So we just finished a, a uh, arrangement with uh, Walmart where we're introducing Taffer Mixology, seven flavors of mixers. I've been working on it for two years with Brian Van Flandern, who's one of the country's best mixologists. We've taken the best juices and mixes and ingredients and really done an amazingly high-quality product. It's called Taffer Mixology, and all seven flavors launch in uh, Walmart around February 18th. So I'm really excited wow. about that. Congratulations. So I'm going to – have to include a blender cooler when I send you your margarita mix so that you're good to go. All right, here's a pretty cool story. Some asshole in Italy started poisoning uh, stray dogs. It's a terrible. And they found a couple of poisoned stray dogs. And uh, I love when I hear stories like this of companies stepping up. So Ikea in Italy turned their stores into dog shelters. And they started bringing in these stray dogs and housing them because of this crisis with some fool poisoning dogs. And when I hear stories like that of, of companies stepping up and all that, you know, it reminds me of, of this culture that exists in America sometimes in certain political persuasions about corporations being bad and corporations being the devil. And, you know, we should all remember that corporations are run by people that have children and dogs and cats and, and lives just like we do. And here's just another example of it. Of a company that, that just, you know, didn't make a big deal out of it. No publicist talked about this story, but they saw a need and fulfilled it. I remember years ago when Katrina happened and Anheuser-Busch turned the valve in their plant and all of a sudden they were putting out cans of water, not cans of beer. But nobody ever knew about that either. I remember when Diageo started putting water in bottles and getting it down to Florida after Gene and uh, nobody knew about that either. And this is just another example of, of companies stepping up as they do all the time. And, you know, that's a good reason to go shop at an Ikea. You know what I mean, Casey? When we see companies do things like this, I think we should be supportive of them. Absolutely. And I, and I think we should be vocal about it. You know, you did something great for my community. I'm going to shop in your store. You know, I think that there should be benefits and rewards when people do right. So speaking of doing right, I think this is a huge winner. So. In Europe, they now have an artificial intelligence newscaster. So it's a computer system, and it projects a digital image of a person, a photograph of a person with a moving mouth and facial expressions and all that, 
So it's two-dimensional, Casey. It's not a three-dimensional robot. It's a two-dimensional image on your screen. But he is reading the cue cards, and uh, it is a digital image, and is it a complete artificially intelligent newscaster, first ever. Last week, I mentioned this on the podcast, I believe, Toyota, Lexus actually, launched a first ever artificially intelligent written television spot. It was written and produced completely by artificial intelligence. So now we have an artificial intelligence write something, produce something, and now they've performed something as a newscaster. Pretty amazing, huh? Machines are taking over. They are. What's amazing about it is I watched the the newscast, and I'm convinced that this artificially intelligent two-dimensional guy is far funnier, far more dynamic, (laughs) and a far better newscaster than Dan Rather. There's no question about it. (laughs) Would you ever digitize yourself, John? No, I've done some of these digital animations over the years that people have done of me. But no, I can't tell you I've ever been digitized. It sounds like an interesting process. You think it tingles a little? (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) I hope so, too. If it does, I'm in. (laughs) Anyway, when we come back, uh, we'll be with Jordan. Talk to you in a minute. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date. How about the luxury package you got after a big promotion? Or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer? While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions like navigation or moonroof and watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew that was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer not available in all areas. Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. So, Jordan, I've been really looking forward to having you here because you preach what I believe so much yeah. about life a- and your journey is remarkable. So I want to talk a little bit about how you got where you are. Cause you're an influencer. Yeah. You know, it's funny. That word is kind of, it's a funny word because it's something you should never say about yourself. Cause it just sounds ridiculous, but you are. And so am I, by the way, I feel yeah, the same are. way. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Try, try calling yourself a TV star. See how uncomfortable yeah. that feels. Yeah. Like tell, tell the friends that you grew up with that you're an influencer and just wait for the, wait for the punishment. <laughs> but you are. Yeah. So, so this is safe ground. We could talk right, about this with right. each other. So talk to me about what you were like when you were a kid. So were you a good student in school? What did you want to do when you were young? That's funny. When I was a kid, I was was I, yes later on I was a good student and early on I was a good student but I went through this phase where I got in trouble I was an I'm, I'm an only child so there's that's an accident waiting to happen right there so if you ha- if you have kids try to have more than one because they'll either keep each other out of trouble or at least keep each other entertained word to the wise and uh, <laughs> what I started doing was since I was an only child and I was really lonely I didn't like going to school because I thought I had kind of like the social anxiety issues that every kid has in sixth and seventh grade, by the way. And I started going on the Internet 
and nobody was on the internet except for probably like creepy IT guys and pedof. Oh, sorry, IT guys and creepy people, not not so, creepy IT guys. So these were the AOL prodigy days. Even, yeah, and it, even maybe even sooner than that, like ninety two, wow. ninety three. Probably they had AOL back then too. Yeah. And I started learning about things like hacking and especially hacking phone systems. So I actually got a cell phone from a friend of mine and I turned it into a scanner so you could listen to other people's conversations. And I spent hours every day listening to conversations. I hope the statute of limitations is run on the crime of essentially wiretapping, but I spent a lot of time learning wow. about people that way. That's fascinating. Were there particular things that you tried to listen to? Obviously, we were young kids. So it was yeah. two hot girls on the phone. I'm guessing that yeah. was in. That was on the top of the list. That would have been great. What types of things caught your interest? Yeah, so what really one, – one conversation in particular kind of changed the way that I look at people, which was one of my neighbors was getting a divorce, and he lived with – for the time with his mother because I think his wife had probably booted him out of the house. So he was using his cell phone a lot to talk to his friends, his soon-to-be ex-wife, his sister, and even his mom. And so I guess when she wasn't around or something like that. So I would hear him talking with his friends, and he's like, yeah, she's so dumb, like my you know, Nancy this, whatever. And then he'd talk to her, and he'd be really confrontational. And then he'd talk to his sister, and he'd be like, why doesn't she love me? And then you'd hear him with his mom, and he was just a baby boy. And I thought if he took any element of his conversation with his sister and his mom and told it to his wife, he wouldn't be in this position in the first place. What do I know, though? I'm a 13-year-old yep, yep. kid. But that got me looking at adults as three-dimensional humans because I don't know if you remember being a, a, a really little kid. I barely do. But adults, they feed you, they yell at you, they give you homework, and they drive you around. And then, like, your parents have a little bit more dimension, something going on that other people don't. But if you grow up in a healthy household, you kind of don't see a whole lot of – no one's like, oh, the rent's due. Oh, mom and I are fighting. Like, you don't right. see a whole lot of that. We're insulated by that. Yeah, We're insulated. So – I actually got to hear adult problems from an adult perspective at a very young age, which wow. you don't want to live with that because it turns you into an unhealthy person, like if your parents yeah. are fighting in front of you all the time. But if it's a neighbor, I had enough detachment where I was like, I don't know, I just see that guy cutting the lawn, but look at all these feelings this real human has. And who the crises knew? in his life. Yeah, who knew? Were there times when, when the crises were so big that you were almost shocked that he was able to mow his lawn? Yeah, I, you know what I mean. Yeah, I, well, there were there were some calls where I felt legitimately bad for him, even though I thought he was kind of like a a jerk in a lot of ways because the way he was talking with his his friends and his wife. Yeah. I realized twenty twenty hindsight, he was just posturing. He was super. He was very very hurt by everything that was going on, even though it was of his own making. Yeah. And so I'd see him cutting the lawn and riding around in his like Corvette convertible, and I just thought. Like I kind of felt Big bad. Big gold for chain him. on his neck. Too? No, no, okay. no, no. I lived in uh, Detroit. I'm from Detroit, so he was just kind of like a regular. Looking now, I realize this was just a guy who was really insecure and trying way too hard and had no idea how to handle real problems. So, he was a grown so, man, child. This is deep, though. So you, yeah. as a 13, 14 year old kid, are starting to see a depth of life that most 13 to 14 year old kids won't see. Yeah, and that and got you're me living, interested in people. And you're living in a protective house where that stuff is kept. The, Typically shielded from a hundred percent, and I didn't even have brothers and sisters to fight with. So conflict among adults was like, "Whoa, right. what is going on?" So okay, let's go up two years. Yeah. Now you're sixteen. Yeah, how did that change you? What did you want to do then? How do you think it, it redirected your life? This is fascinating. Yeah, I started wire the wiretapping and phone listening yeah. to a lot of phone conversations. I started opening up those green boxes on the side of the road and listening to. I just got obsessed with people and learning about people. 
and I read books like Dale Carnegie, How to Win uh-huh. Friends and Influence People, which when you're 15, 16 years old, nobody's telling you help other people and make friends. They're just right. you, no one's giving you any real advice other than do your homework. Right. Yeah, that's right. And which is good follow advice. The rules. Yeah. Follow, follow the rules. rules. But nobody was doing the self-help stuff, really. And I got really into it and I started to become absorbed by it but also i started to see how scammy the whole niche was where it's like uh there's a whole lot of pump you up take your money type of self-help stuff and i got really interested in the human element of this and uh, i eventually started to get in trouble because i was doing a lot of other sort of pranks and things and one notable one notable prank that got me in trouble was i ordered pizza for the entire school but i used a credit card number that i had created on my own using a, a computer and that so guy, you were very computer hacking, technology savvy. Yeah, I was. I was to, for better you know, or worse. Interesting. I have a similar story in a different way. I went to college for a few years, and when I went to college, I took cultural anthropology classes. Oh yeah, which were the study of primates. Yeah, yeah, you know, elephant societies and gorilla societies. And I learned how primates were just like them. Yeah, we're really very primal. Yes, in in our core reflexes in a way we react to things. Oh, yeah. We get protective or we get aggressive or, or, or you know, we, we, we pound our chests. Yeah. Or, but, but so I always have been very keyed into to human behavior and have studied it myself. You know, you've watched my show. So sure. I stu- but it's interesting how it's, we both got sparked for this desire yeah. and need to learn about human behavior. You attack a lot of human beha- – I shouldn't say attack, but you attack beha- behaviors yeah. on people that are dysfunctional. Yeah. And even in, in the book as well, it's like the the process – and I'll talk to you about this when you're on my show – but the processes by which you go, hey, look, this is an excuse. Do you not see it? You're basically – holding a mirror up for people and if they don't see it you hit them in the head with the mirror a few times until they do which yeah. i think a lot of people need especially if yeah. they're set in their ways and they're hell-bent on self-destruction right are you sick and tired of paying all these different companies for your tv service well pluto tv is the leading free streaming television service you can watch over a hundred tv channels and thousands of movies on demand all completely free Pluto TV will never ask for a credit card, and you don't even need to sign up to watch for free. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies for free. So what are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again simply by downloading Pluto TV. And you can download it for free on all your favorite devices, including your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere else you stream. So what are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Download Pluto TV for free on all your favorite devices right now. So when did you realize, holy shit, I got a business here? What happened was I started to get in trouble for pranks like the pizza prank. And the, on that prank, they called the police because they're like, what do we do? This this pizza got ordered and da da da. Like, who's going to pay for this? And the police, the local police had to call on the FBI because they had no idea how to handle what they considered to be cybercrime at this point right. in the 90s. So you were an innovator in uh, cybercrime. That's right. An innovator <laughs> at age uh, 14 or 15 or whatever it was. <laughs> and uh, And the FBI guy came in and he was like, let me get this straight. You got information on somebody, then you made a card number, then you called this company knowing that there was a delay when they processed the card versus when they would deliver the pizzas. And I was like, yeah, I knew there was going to be a time gap between when they processed this and when they delivered the pizzas. And he's like, how do you know that? And I was like, I just read everything I could about credit card uh, systems and phone systems and how they reconcile transactions. And the FBI guy, 
I got really lucky because he wasn't like good. Throw the book at this little crap head. Yep. He he was like, wait a minute, you're you're too smart to be doing this crap. You need to focus because you should work for the FBI when you're an adult, not be in prison. And that kind of woke me up to. So he this. saw a good kid in a bad place. Yeah, and and he started actually asking me questions because he's like, wait a minute, you what are you talking about? You clone cell phones? What are you talking about? You turned a cell phone into a scanner. So the Detroit office agent Forster was the guy's name. The Detroit office of the FBI was like, this kid, we should bounce stuff off this kid because he's in this whole scene that we kind of know exists in Detroit with the phone hacking, but we don't have anybody in it doing anything. There's a movie in this somewhere. Maybe, yeah. So how old were you when you were in touch with the FBI? I was 16, yeah, 15, 16, when I started really working with them. How did your parents react to the FBI coming to talk to you? They were actually kind of, first they were super nervous, but then when they talked with the agents for a while, they realized, okay, this isn't like a trap for our kid. Because one of the other things that I was doing was, speaking of AOL, I I was having trouble with girls. No surprise, a big nerdy kid having trouble with women. So what my boss at the time told me to do, this is genius, right? He goes, look, how are you meeting girls now? I said, on AOL and chatting with them. And he goes, okay, here's what you do. Make another screen name on AOL, but make it as a girl and watch the messages from guys come in and then do something different than what those guys are doing. So I made a screen name that sounded like a, a female on AOL, and I just sat her in chat rooms, and then guys would start instant messaging her. Yeah. And what I found was I learned a lot about the opposite sex, but what I really found was I, I learned a lot. Uh, uh, there are a lot of creeps online, which is no surprise now. So I, I started to uh, – my boss one day goes, how's it going with the, the AOL and the dating stuff? And I said, oh, there's all these loser guys that are like 40, and they're sending messages to this 14-, 15-year-old girl on AOL, and he, he's like – what do you mean? And I start telling him, and I printed off some transcripts, and he goes, wait, wait, wait. This isn't funny, man. These are perverts. These are like, these are pedophiles. Yeah. And it didn't occur to me at the time, because I'm, I'm 16, and I'm like, yep. yeah, 14-year-old yep. girls, when you're 16, they're kind of, kind of, they're in your class. Right. They're, they're approachable they're, to They're you. approachable to me. So right. it, it was, I thought the 40-year-old guy was kind of a dork, and he goes, no, 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 this is actual criminal yeah, behavior. Sick shit. So he he goes, get all these transcripts that you got from all these guys, and then we're faxing them to Agent Forrester. So we started sending the FBI these transcripts of these chats, and the FBI would take over the screen name and lure the guys to Ohio. Because, again, we're in Detroit. They, this is a few miles away. Lure them to Toledo, Ohio, and arrest them. This is well before To Catch a Predator was ever a thing. But we started catching pedophiles, and, and my parents were like, you're doing good work now. Yeah. Your, your weird scheming has turned into something that's keeping yeah. people safe online. So were you working out of your house? Were you working out of their offices? I was working out of my house. And I'm guessing they provided you with the computer and everything, so, so you, no, you just did it off your own? In the, in the initially, I just did it off my own because Detroit didn't have any office for – Cybercrime, as they called it. So yeah. what I would do is I would fax these to the Detroit office, and they would fax them to Washington, D.C., and then Washington, D.C. would call Detroit and say, have him talk to this guy for longer and have him uh, state specific things. And then they would eventually take over my screen name, and they'd be like, don't log in you know, for these four days, these five days, or like tell her you changed your name to wow. this. And this female, uh, I guess maybe female so- or male agent in Washington would take over. So your scheme was a centerpiece of a sting. Yeah, it was, yeah. That's unbelievable. So you've learned a lot about the guy and girl interaction. Yeah. You've learned when you were younger about this guy and his wife and their lousy interactions. Yeah. So you're starting to learn a lot about intimacy and relationships and, and, and 
pickup lines and yeah. all of these things. And I would have killed to have a little intimacy of my own at age 15, 16, but I, I was not there yet. Yeah. No, but you're hearing about it from everybody else. It must have frustrated it the was hell the out wor- of you. It was worse than just being a lonely <laughs> kid, right? It's like at least then you can have video games and pretend it doesn't exist. When you know everyone else is getting it, you right. just feel like crap, you know? <laughs> so, so you started to cre- – you created an advice uh, – was it an AOL page at the time? Because you started providing pickup advice. Yeah, oh, my gosh. When I This is when I was in law school. I started to one day I was downloading I got to hold you so after working for the FBI now you got intrigued by the whole legal thing yeah and yeah. you realized that you can make a positive difference. Yeah, I did. And and also but I but I had no concrete idea how and an FBI agent had come into our high school and he said the FBI hires lawyers, accountants, and I don't remember some other categories. And he said there's some generalized agents but you'll do better if you have a law or accounting yeah. degree. So I was like, "Oh, okay." I'll keep my options open and maybe I'll go to law school. So you really went to law school because of that FBI experience? In a way, yeah. I would say that was like at least 60% of it. So you're on a path now. Theoretically. Hoping that you'll do good working with the FBI and and employing the skills that you have uh, 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 as somewhat of an innovator. Yeah. In, in cyber law enforcement, if you will. I was thinking about it. You know, I, I wasn't 100% sure where I was going to go with it, but it was one of the paths that I was looking at. And the reason it didn't pan out as well was because of the crushing amount of debt I had after law school. I just took a Wall Street job because I got one, you know. So, so you left law school, took a Wall Street job. That didn't last long, did it? It didn't. What I, I, I'm, I got a really good picker because I was like, let's go into the mortgage-backed securities industry. <laughs> and so for people who don't really know what that is, that's when you take subprime mostly mortgages – you turn it into a, like a financial product and you sell shares in that product. Well, that was the reason for the meltdown in 2008. So in 2006, I joined a law firm and we have more work than we can handle. And then 2007 is about halfway done and they go, yeah, we, got, we don't have that much work. It's probably December at this point, of, but this will be all done by May. So we're going to keep you guys on board, pay you full salary and benefits and wait for the work to come back. Well, I sat around that law office making full salary and benefits for a long time before they just closed. Wow, so you got paid to do nothing. I got paid to do nothing. I used the money to start my my first business. Wow, so your first business was? It was a company that taught guys how to go out and meet women specifically. It was almost like a – it wasn't like picking up chicks, but it was – damn close we tried to be like the white hat version of it so instead sure. of like lie to her and tell her that you got a ferrari how to find a charisma and, and sp- get to spend time with women that are appealing to you exactly and and be straightforward so, about it so so i, I would understand it because this is brilliant jordan the guy who can't get laid right is helping other guys classic, try to get laid classic internet bs <laughs> right it's almost like business consultants yes every business consultant i've ever met talks about it but they don't know how to freaking do it right yeah <laughs> they don't have an answering machine that their voicemail's not set up it's like how are you uh, never mind this is yeah so it's a great story because you had an idea you had a concept you didn't have credentials you didn't have degrees right you know you just had life experience that gave you the confidence to try this Right. And at that so point, how did you launch it? So what happened was I had started going my first stint at the law firm. I realized throughout high school, I could sort of teach myself the geometry on the test. But then I got to college and everybody was as smart or smarter than me. But they were drinking all day. Something you're f- familiar with from seeing other people. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> so they were. And I thought if I just show up to class and I actually do the homework, I'll be able to graduate in the top half of my class. So I did that. 
Same thing with law school. You just have to outwork everyone. Yep. But then I got to Wall Street and I realized my competitive advantage is wiped out. Everyone's smarter than me or as smart. Everyone's as hard. We're all working 20 hours a day, seven days a week. What can I do? And there was a partner that had hired me and he was never in the office. And I said, why is Dave never here? And I asked him one day, what, one of the three times I saw him the whole summer, and he said, I said, do you work from home a lot? And he said, no, I'm, I'm out building relationships to generate business. And I, my mind exploded because I thought, wait a minute, you're generating relationships that generate business. I thought you did all your networking after you made partner and you worked your way up there. And he's like, no, it's the other way around. You get made partner because they can't afford not to make you partner right. because you have all these relationships. So I thought, wait a minute, no one knows about this. If I work on these people skills, because at that point I had worked on myself enough to try to be uh, palatable for the opposite sex. I knew a lot about persuasion and influence and things like that because I'd been studying it. He's like, if you generate relationships and you bring in business, you'll move up faster. I figured nobody else is paying attention to this stuff. If I get a five-year head start, by the time these other associates at my level learn that they need to know how to network, I will be leagues ahead of them. They'll never catch up, and then I won't get fired. Because at that point, I was thinking, you're going to get fired, Jordan. They're going to figure out you're too dumb to work here. I had imposter syndrome. Like, you can't handle this. You got the wool. You got everyone fooled for now. You got to build real skills because if you don't, you're out the door. So I started working on that. And that's when I started my first podcast, started teaching guys how to go out and meet people and create these these networks because it didn't start off as, hey, I'll teach you how to date. It started off as I'll teach you how to network because I had started studying this right. like crazy. But 20-something-year-old guys, they don't give a crap about that. They want to learn how to meet women. So I, when I was selling networking And they want to tap in quickly. Yeah. <laughs> it was like when I was selling classes on networking, I got like one guy interested, and he's like, hey, why are you 27 and I'm 37? I'm not learning from you. And then I, when we switched to dating-related stuff, we had a line out the door because that's what people cared about. Sure. Sure. You know, it's it's uh, when we hurt, we really react. And people yes. that are alone hurt. Yes. Oh, tell me and about it. It's a powerful motivation. You know, it, it, it's interesting, and I so relate to you, Jordan, because I own the term reaction management. Yeah, yeah. And reaction management is managing the reactions of those around you to make your own life better and having the sensitivity to the way they feel and what they react to and their body language and, you know, what inspires them, what motivates them, what yeah. makes them want to be with you again, what makes them want to promote you. And, and I learned that in a really young age. And that's, in essence, the very same thing that you're pitching so networking is where to go yeah how to find the right people when you go there how to act how to dress how exactly. to behave how to connect with those people even the right words to say yeah the phrasing in each industry the kind of things that you'd say to a girl yep exactly you know? not to make her think that you want to get in her pants but to make her think that you're safe Sure. And, and and appealing, and she wants to talk to you more. Exactly, and 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 to actually, if you can be real with that, then you are a hundred times better off. Because a lot of guys spend a lot of time. Our differentiator back then was, hey, we're actually helping you become a better guy, not just helping you pretend that you're a better guy because right. that's going to be short-lived you want to deserve what you want you want to when when she finds out who you really are you want her to be pleasantly surprised not terrified and regretting everything it's, it's almost finishing school in a sense a lot of it or was social school so you're really helping people you're making a difference with that which at, is really neat at that point yeah when i ran the troubadour i gotta tell you this you left when i ran a troubadour uh, uh, in the early 80s uh, there was a guy i'll never forget i hope he's listening his name was gene murphy and Gene Murphy had the greatest pickup lines of all time. Gene Murphy would walk up to a girl at the bar and say, stop your grinning and drop your linen. 
What? That's what he would do. You can get away with and, that back then? Hold on. And he'd hit eight or ten in a row, and one of them would smile. And then he'd have a drink with her. He used to go up to girls, I swear to God, he used to say, uh, do you like apples? And she'd say, yeah, I like apples. He'd say, me too. Let's go to my place. <laughs> yeah, and, come on. I swear to God, Gino was the most aggressive uh, uh, hitter ever. Now, this is pre-AIDS, a very different time yeah, in sure. life. Uh, 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 and, you know, a lot less defensiveness. And all. Sure. But the fact of the matter is Gino Mur- Murphy had no uh, qualms about insulting eight people for the ninth one to oh say yes. <laughs> I was talking with Adam Carolla, and he said the best time to be alive was Los Angeles pre-AIDS prime. I think he said prime Coke. Uh, that's what. That's yeah. exactly the era I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. It was, and I ran a troubadour back in those days. So, so uh, we were Great not place. only living that time. I was in very harvestable turf at yeah, that time. Front so. row seat to that. Eh? It sure was. But uh, uh, fascinating. So, how did you start to monetize it? So suddenly, people lined up. They're paying you fees. Yeah. And are you spending time with them on the phone? How are you communicating and teaching them? Yeah, that was funny. My first my first gig was, well, I'll show people how to do this in real life. And I was teaching around the law school and things like that. And then a couple of guys started saying, hey, I want to hire you. And I said, great, I'm in Michigan. And they said, yeah, I'm in California. I, I'm going to give you a retainer. You know how this works, right? You're an attorney. And I said, kind of, because I didn't build anything. That yeah. worked on Wall Street. I wasn't in charge of that. I wish I was. So this, I remember the, one of our biggest clients was this mortgage banker, and he said, I'm going to help you a little bit too. And I was like, sure, whatever. And he goes, look, here's, here's five grand. My first tip is raise your price because I think I was charging 100 bucks an hour. And he goes, this is ridiculous. He goes, I've hired every coach for all my bankers, all my sales guys. Your stuff that you're talking about on your podcast is much more useful. So you're going to keep the price the same for me, but you need to triple your price. And I was like, no one's going to pay me $300 an hour. And he goes, no, they're going to pay you three to $500 an hour. And I, was, I thought he was insane. It's all what you give him in the hour. Though, it was, it? yeah. Because it's, perce- it's not about the hour. Yeah, it's the perceived value of what I get from the hour. So yeah. if you're if you're giving them a powerful life changing hour, yeah, there there was one guy who was a street performing magician, which sounds ridiculous, but he came in and he was the first guy who said, "Hey, can I stay with you for a week?" And I said, "Heck no, I got to work all day." And he said, "I'll give you five grand for the week if I can just follow you around except to work." So I took a couple of days off because we had nothing to do back then anyway in the law firm because the economy had slowed and I was just taking him around and I said, look, man, I feel guilty. You're not learning as much as you paid for. And he said, I'm learning more than I paid for. And I said, how? And he goes, last night I did a show in Times Square and I had, I made maybe 30 bucks because I wasn't that engaging. And he said, some of the stuff you've shown me, I'm using that with people who are walking by. And he had made like 1500 bucks the other night after I'd gone home because I was tired. And he and I said, from what I'm telling you? And he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm applying what you're telling me to the crowd work. And he's like, I'm making 10, 15 times as much. And I thought, okay, I'm onto something here. This isn't just about go to the bar, meet some guys, meet some gals. This is like, guys are applying this to their business. But if you're teaching them to be sensitive about the things they say, the way they present themselves, right? And their overall appeal and... and uh, a magnet ability, if you will, yeah. right? That then that bleeds into every boss they have, every employee they work with, yep. and when they see it works, then it's really impactful because then they start doing it again, and exactly. then it becomes part of their lives. It does. So, so are you changing lives? 
Yeah, it was something that surprised even me because I started off thinking I like going out because I'm 27 and I like teaching other people how not to be shy like I used to be. So I was teaching guys how to avoid painful shyness and thereby improve their life. It wasn't about the women. It was about changing the guy, So again, so that he deserves a great partner, not how to trick women. It was always about the guys. And so I was able to give these guys a lot of value and I eventually realized it doesn't have to do anything about, you don't have to teach the dating stuff. That's really, that was like a vehicle for self-improvement. You could teach a married guy this. We started teaching military and intelligence agents and our company now, Advanced Human Dynamics, is like primary clients, our intelligence agencies, doctors, lawyers, special forces in the military, because How they to create need the stuff. relationships that drive results, whatever 100%. those results might be. 100%. Yep. Yeah. And build the kind of trust that causes people to, to engage with you yeah. in a forthright way. Yeah. It, just and like, that's a science. It's, yeah. a, it's like what you teach. Like People have got to know, like, and trust you or yeah. know, like, and trust your business. Yeah. And it comes down, that, and I've seen you talk about this on your show probably a few times, but like, you can't have any of your staff be kind of like, that's not my job or walking past a problem. You apply this stuff to your own life. You apply this stuff to your own special forces unit. Yeah. You've got a good high-performing unit, just like you have a good high-performing restaurant or bar. Yeah. So what's great about your life and your story, and it's inspiring, and you know, the audience should know this. You First of all, uh, uh, you said something to me seven, eight minutes ago that defines you probably more than you even know it does. When you talked about going to um, law school, oh yeah, you said I go to law school. That's just working hard. I'll, 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 I'll do. Mm. When you just said you just completely blew off the challenge of being in a second at the upper half of your law school class mm. by saying, "I'll just work hard." Yeah, I'll just outwork everyone. Yeah. So, so, so when you have that attitude that you're going to outwork everyone, then you're going to know more than everyone. You're going to put more time in it. You're going to read more pages. Yeah. You're going to spend more hours. I read a book years ago, Jordan, about Henry Ford and Thomas Edison. Oh, yeah. None of those guys slept. All those guys worked 20 hours a day, oh, 18 yeah. hours a day. So they became who they are because they absorbed more every day, sure. worked more every day. You know, They put in a 30-year career in about 12 years. Exactly. Yeah. So that working hard, that diving in, that commitment, saying, you know, I'll work more than everyone else. I'll read more than everyone else. I'll know more than everyone else. You and I completely share that philosophy. I, I believe that. Yeah. When I was young, my grandfather said to me, my grandfather invented direct mail and died a very, very no wealthy kidding. man. Yeah, and died a very, very wealthy man, uh, owned an ad agency in Manhattan on Park Avenue. And I always looked up to him, and he was always wow. this bigger-than-life figure. This, and he was loved and famous in his world. And I said to him, "How do you assure yourself? Or how do I know I'm going to be a millionaire?" Yeah, good question. And his answer was, "Be the smartest guy in a room." Fair. All right. So, so at a young age, I started, you know, on this quest. I always wanted to know more than the people around me. And as we get older, of course, we can't. There are lawyers and people that oh, we man. put around Yeah, us. you get specialized. Of course. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we need to know more about our own lives, our own purposes, and the people around us and be able to read those people better than anyone else. Yes. And, and I learned that at a young age, and so did you, and we really share that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. That's one of the reasons why I like the stuff that, that you're doing, and I'm, I was reading the book. And, um, and, and it was really interesting to hear because I expected your book to be like, First, make sure that you're putting ads and that I've expected it to be more tactical. But the first thing was, here's what's stopping you. Fear, ego, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, yes, this person, John, gets it because you read a lot of business books and it's like, 
put yourself out there, and I, I throw that one in the corner with all the yeah, rest. We all have these barriers in life. Yeah. If I want to sell you a widget, I got barriers. I got to get it in front of you. I got to yeah. get you to like it. I got to let you to see the value in it. I got to get you. I got to knock those barriers down. Yeah. If I want to meet a girl and get married, I got a lot of barriers. I mean, where do I go? Barrier one. Sure. Yeah, how do I look? Barrier two. So, so guys like you and I have this sensitivity that allows us to identify these barriers that hold people back. And it's interesting because one client can make it three barriers and the fourth one nails him. Oh, yeah. Another client, the second one knocks him down. Yeah. The next guy makes it eight and then completely falls on his face. But always there's some barrier that we have to break through that's holding us back. And the biggest barrier of all is hard work. Oh, yeah. And you beat that barrier right from the get-go. I can thank my dad for that. My dad was... My dad was one of those guys where, like now, by modern-day fatherhood standards, people would be like, he only spent time with you on the weekends. What? This is terrible, or whatever. But now I'm like, you know, one of the biggest lessons that he taught me was you outwork everyone. And he became one of the bosses over at Ford because he was willing to stay the latest, and he was the one who was willing to say, hey, this guy needs my help to become a better performer. And he was married to that job. And in the audio industry, they love that. But now I realize... People now are, especially guys my age, I'm 38, but guys my age, younger, guys and gals for that matter, we're often looking for like leverage and shortcuts. And there are plenty of those for sure. But do but, they serve you well? Yeah, that's the question, right? Like if, you, if you're running your own business, whenever I see these guys who are running their own business and they go, my goal is to not work as much. I'm just thinking either you're shortchanging yourself or you're just freaking delusional. Right. Because I, I want to work hard. You know, and, I want and, it. And there's pleasure in that. Yes. There's pleasure at the end pride. of the day in that. You be- and I don't understand why people don't get that pleasure at the end of every day. It's remarkable. Maybe we're the weirdos, though, John. I, I, I think we that, might be the yeah, nutcases. I'm I with you, so. What would you say, because there's a lot of listeners that listen to me now, and I have a lot of listeners at 25, 26, 27, sure. 31 single. What would you say to them about today's world and today's environment? And, and I know I'm putting you on the spot. Sure. But what are the five or six most important things uh, in networking and growing one's social sphere, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Th- it's funny. People go, I'm single. I need to meet a woman. Actually, you don't. You need to figure out how to deserve what you want. I've said that a few times during this, this show. And what I mean by that is, if and this goes for people who want to generate business leads, generate uh, a, a romantic partner. This has nothing to do. So what we teach at Advanced Human Dynamics, you could be married. You can be working for the government. You can be working for a corporation. The advice is the same. These social networks that you develop around yourself, this is what invites people into your world, whether it's friends, business contacts, or, or a, a woman, or, or, or the opposite Or has sex. them choose not to go into your world. Exactly, exactly. Like, if you're lonely and your life consists of eating fried chicken and playing video games every night after work and you don't love your job, you don't, you're not ambitious, this, this is going to be a problem that's going to follow you around. It doesn't matter what you do or say. Sure, nobody wants to be with you. Nobody wants to be with you. So w- what I always recommend people do is create a list of things that you want to do and improve in your life and start attacking those. And this can be as simple as, oh, gee, I just moved to this new town. I need to create a social circle. Make a list of maybe three or four skills you want to learn. And I mean like Italian cooking, wine tasting, Learn how to decorate, rebuild an engine in a car. Learn how to decorate a, Bowling. a house. Bowling. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Make a list of these skills. Go online and find courses that teach this. 
And then worst case scenario, you go into a class, you learn a skill, even if you don't meet anyone, most likely you're going to meet a bunch of people interested in the same skills that you are. Common interests. Common interests. You're going to create a social circle around that. Smart. And then once you do that, you can start to curate a group of, hey, this is a group of people that get together every week and we cook Italian food and then we watch... Uh, a retro movie and that's every Thursday and it's at someone else's house and you're the guy in charge of planning you're now the hub of this social circle it could be skydiving it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it doesn't matter right. at all so, so the fact of the matter is uh, so many people have passions that they just don't pursue right and you know John Lennon says life is what happens when you make other plans yeah what you're saying is don't let that happen all the time have one or two plans, and boy, do I agree with you, Jordan. Say to yourself, okay, I am going to go out and take that skydiving class. Yeah. I am going to go out and do this. This is my focus this month. Yeah. And you're right. There's nothing to lose. Either you better yourself by the experience, or you wind up with a whole bunch of friends coming over every Thursday That's right. for a great Italian dinner. Yeah. And even if you don't care about skydiving, you go, that was the worst experience of my life. You just met a bunch of new people, and you cross that off the list. If you do this every quarter for... A couple of years, you're going to have a ton of skills, a ton of friends, and you're going to have a rich life that anybody would love to be a part of because it's not just Xbox and then going to Target. Yeah, you know, putty people say I inspire them. You inspire the hell out of me. Really? You do. Thank you, man. You know, it, I appreciate it's a that. pleasure to meet you, and, and, and people should listen to your podcast because you have a really important message. You know, you have something to say, and you're really sincere about it. Yeah. You really wake up every day to help people, don't you? I Yeah, it's funny. I love helping people by getting the best out of you know the Jordan Harbinger show I'll have guys like you on I had General McChrystal on recently just people that I know have wisdom to offer but not everybody's going to sit down and read the book because half of us read two books in our entire life as adults and I want to get that wisdom out and have people apply it for themselves because the greatest change in my life was realizing I can learn from anyone and then figuring out how to apply those lessons. So, yeah, I wake up in the morning going, what video, what show on the Jordan Harbinger show, what guests can we have that will create value for somebody? Because I want people to get addicted and go, every time I listen to this guy, learn something, and it changes the way that I work or that I socialize or that I yeah, live life. Away. Yeah, it's all about practical takeaways. Where can people find you? The Jordan Harbinger Show is on Podcast One or wherever you get your podcasts, or just go to jordanharbinger.com. Honestly, people can email me, jordan at jordanharbinger.com. I'm happy to field questions because, like you said, I wake up kind of wanting to help people out. Wow. So send Jordan an email. Uh, Propose some questions to him. How can you expand your universe, expand uh, your social skills, and and, and not just meet girls, but just meet the kind of people that will change your life? I'm I'm not as useful as I was for meeting women back then. I'm more useful for the professionals, I think, now. But And social media, of course, at Jordan Harbinger on everything. Excellent, buddy. It's been great to have you here. Your story is inspiring to me. And the work that you do every day makes a difference. Uh, uh, and that makes it so worthwhile. Thank you, John. Congratulations, buddy. Support for No Excuses with John Taffer comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make. But today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive buying power process. Here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credit to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. 
They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then once you've found the one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep the new lower rate. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash taffer. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. I told you George was interesting. It's amazing. There should be a movie about him, about how he started, you know, sort of as the quote villain. And then became a hero for the FBI, and now his story is such a motivation to everyone else. Uh, uh, anyway, so now is my favorite part of the show. It's ready to talk to some listener call-ins. So, Casey, we got some good ones? All right, John, let's head over to Charles. He's in Illinois. He's managed to save up $65,000 and doesn't know what to do with it. Wow. Hey, John, how are we doing? This is Charles. Hey, Charles, how are you, man? Doing well, doing well. I appreciate the time. Um, so, yeah, I, I'll kind of give you a little bit of background. I've been big fan for a while. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to see you on the platforms, uh, platforms at Barstool Sports and really respect your opinion and everything that you do. Um, so I thought I'd reach out and lucky enough, I'm not on the show now. I wanted to see um, younger at age, only 24, 25 years old in the supply chain industry. been fortunate enough to do over a hundred, over 200 plus the last couple of years now. So I've saved a good penny, still being single and young. Um, college debt all paid off, but now I kind of want to, experience different markets, if it's a real estate, is it more in the stock market? Wanted to get your opinion, one of which was you were thinking. Well, you know, as starting out, I, I certainly, and, and look, I'm not an investment counselor, so I just want to qualify it that way, but here's my thought. Starting out, I wouldn't go with the stock market, because I'm not sure that's going to work for you well, and there's a little volatility, a little up and down right now. Real yep. estate is rock solid. You're not going to, if you buy a piece of real estate, it's never going to be worth zero. You know that. It, it, it will t- typically appreciate it. Just at what value will it appreciate? If you bought a commercial piece of real estate, like a strip center, a small office building, a six flat apartment building, something like that, you could put $65,000 down and probably get yourself an income producing property. If you could find a property that was currently rented that had cash flow that you could buy, and use maybe 40 of your 65,000, so maybe you're buying it for 400,000, something along those lines, you would have an asset, you would have an asset that has cash flow paying the debt service on that asset, and you'd thereby yep. minimize your risk, and then you go to the next one, and the next one, and the next one, after four or five of them, you, you got a whole bunch of real estate assets and cash flow. I would consider that. The other thing that I would consider doing is doing what you love to do. So, I mean, if, if you love something, and you're really passionate about it, you should move your money where your passion is. So I'm not quite sure I know what that is, but if you could do anything in life, Charles, what would it be? It, it personally, what, it, what excites me is I played college football, loved kind of the sports background and stuff, would love to kind of get somewhere down that, that avenue. Um, don't know what type of market that would be in, but if it has some type of sports background to it, that's what I'm very passionate about. Uh, I played Division One football for four years and kind of have that mm. background a little bit. So if it's something like that, then great. And that's kind of why I'm, I'm, I'm torn. Is it something, do I want to do the business venture now and take that risk and jump onto something and start the own company? Or do I continue to kind of build the uh, the nest egg, so to speak, and continue to grow with the uh, real estate or stock market and that? And that's where I find myself in a, in a good situation for being 24 years old to be able to 
of this young success at an early age here. Um, yeah, you're yeah, a bright guy. Let me add there. something, Charles. You can do both. If you buy yeah. an income-producing strip center or a little small piece of real estate, you know, six flats or offices or whatever, you can keep your current job, buy that. It's income-producing. Uh, 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 continue to build your nest egg, your cash flow, buy a second one, and probably after the yeah. second one, you could leave your job, and then you're in a management, you're in a real estate management business. So, uh, yeah. Charles, you should be proud of yourself, buddy. Uh, uh, figure out a way to do it safely. You know, don't risk yeah. it. Put it in a place where it's safe. It's your first investment. You want that sixty-five thousand to work for you for a long time. Take care, buddy. Yeah, that's why you know, I respect your opinion. Wanted to get it on there, and I wanted to make sure I was, uh, you know, making the right calculated decision. I appreciate your time and your insight. My pleasure. Hope it helps, Charles. Take care. All right, John. Let's head over to Joe. He's over in Massachusetts. Big fan of your uh, your books and your shows, and of course, he owns a pizza ice cream shop and needs some help with a small business. Hey, Joe. Hey, John. What's going on? Big fan. Uh, thank you, man. So you own a pizza sandwich and ice cream shop, or that's attached to yes, it? Yes, sir. I, so. uh, I kind of, uh, I don't mean to interrupt you, but That's kind okay. of uh, went, went in with it with uh, my father and my mother and my, uh, my wife. Uh, we kind of put all our chips in the middle. We saw a property nearby us for cheap money, quick sale, you know what I mean? So yep. we're almost in business a year, and uh, it's been going well. I just wanted some tips from you on uh, how to get through those winter months when the ice cream is obviously not in business. Well, it's in business, but... We're just not. Obviously, no one's buying a lot of ice cream in the winter, you know what I mean? You know what's interesting about pizza and sandwich shops, particularly, do you deliver? We don't at the moment just because it's me, my wife, and my parents. So we don't have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, money to be paying people at the moment. But once okay. we do, I'd like to get into delivery because we do get quite a few people that ask, and it's definitely a huge part of any sort of uh, takeout place. So a couple of things. One, you know, the number one day of the year for pizza is Super Bowl Sunday, right? So, so it's the biggest opportunity of the year for you in about 25 days. So first of all, let me just run through a few things for you, and I'll address your ice cream shop question, too. The great thing about a pizza business is whether you sell them to go, you sell them to deliver, or you Uber Eats them, or however you do it, pizzas, you know, you're selling typically hundreds a week. If you include coupons yeah, with those pizza boxes... You can really use pizza as a vehicle. It's almost like a mailer. Every time a pizza box is delivered, uh, a consumer can have a coupon for your ice cream shop, for a dessert, for coffee, for this or that. So every pizza that leaves your store should leave with some type of a promotional component attached to the box. That's number one. Uh, Same thing with a sandwich. I would actually take the tape that I taped the sandwich with and turn it into a coupon. I would I would create incentives and bounce backs in every packaging that I did, every pizza box that I did, and I would look at that pizza and sandwich shop as a launching platform, not just a business. That's number one. That's number two, idea. I'd take a look at your ice cream shop and I'd start shifting it into more of a dessert shop. Are there any movie theaters in your area? Within a few miles, sure. Um, if there's retail shopping in the area, I would look at adding some coffee equipment, uh, putting in a little deli case, cutting a deal with a local baker. You don't have to do it yourself to bring in five or six baked yeah. pieces that you can offer for some baked goods. And I would start turning the perception of your ice cream shop into more of a Starbucksy type of a concept. Sure. And, and that would generate really a more daytime business, a little more evening business and set you up for some winter. Also, I would look at doing possibly signature hot hot chocolates if you can or something to differentiate yourself. 
my consulting group has been working with a client in California, Northern California, that uh, has an issue just like you. They're in the ice cream and yogurt business, and, and they're dead in the wintertime. So we put in a, a signature hot chocolate program with all these flavored hot chocolates. And they're really special, white hot chocolates and mocha hot chocolates and vanilla hot chocolates and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And, and they're taking off as a signature program. So think about things like that uh, that can work for you to give that ice cream shop a little more identity. And remember, think of that pizza and sandwich shop as a launching platform for the other store because those products go out to so many different people. Is that helpful? Awesome. Thank you so much, John. That helps me more than you'd ever know. I started reading your book. Uh, don't yourself and uh, I love it. I'm going to keep reading it. You keep doing everything. I'm going to keep listening to your advice, my friend. Uh, thanks, buddy. Listen, uh, Joe, congratulations on those Red Sox this year, buddy. As a New York fan, it hurts me to hey, say thank it. You. But congratulations. Take care. All right, John, let's head over to Eddie. Eddie's in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, needs some career advice. Hey, Eddie. Hey, John. Yeah, I just first want to say I've uh, been a fan of our rescue since. Uh, day one so uh just want to thank you for all the hours of entertainment thanks buddy sis so, uh, we've sort of known each other for about nine years now i can't believe it's been on tv that long uh, eddie it's shocking to me to tell you the truth buddy what's going on yeah so uh right now my current job i do uh work in an aspect of uh, bank fraud mm-hmm. and i got about over eight years of experience of a certification uh, the last four and a half years with my current employer I've uh, got a professionally done resume. I've had interview coaching, networking, all that. Um, however, kind of working in a job I'm kind of overqualified for, and mm-hmm. I've applied you know, numerous times for a promotion here at my work. And in the rare instance, I actually do get an interview. I'm not selected. Um, now, however, in the past uh, one year, I've had a job at work as security at the local casino, mm-hmm. which I actually do enjoy. And... While working there, I've kind of discovered the world of, you know, compliance and investigation and things like that, which is, you know, yep. a lot of interest to me. And it's kind of similar to my current role, but not quite. And um, I've kind of been thinking since I'm sort of stuck here at my current job, um, if it would make sense to, you know, maybe do a move out to Las Vegas where those jobs are more plentiful. So um question is sort of, you know, do I at my current job, try and uh, make things work here, and if so, how, or do I just kind of start over at the bottom rung of the ladder at a you know, new career, new city type thing? I'll tell you the one thing that you don't do, uh, uh, Eddie, is you don't settle. You know what I mean? Uh, 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 life is short. You know, you, you have a set of skills, and I can tell a, a disposition and attitude that's really pretty perfect for the, for the kind of security work, uh, compliance work, you know, cash control work, investigative work that interests you. And it would seem to me that if that's an interest that you love, and I've lived my life this way, so I'm not going to tell you anything, Eddie, that I wouldn't have done myself, then you want to go to the place where that, that industry or that line of work is the most needed and in the most demand for a couple of reasons. One – greater job opportunities, but two, greater growth opportunities. Now, when you look at a Las Vegas, and I'm a little prejudiced because I live there, I think you know that, uh, uh, there's cranes yeah. everywhere. There's new hotels going up everywhere. 
you know, after the, the, the terrible massacre of last year, security is so on top of everybody's mind. But it's not only that, employee security, compliance laws in a world of gaming and regulations, compliance with regard to liquor licenses, responsibility with regard to tourists and people out of town, theft, the loss of things, people getting confused, getting drunk. Las Vegas is a security mecca, <laughs> if you think about it. And in Las Vegas, a lot of people don't know this, there's really two ends of the business. There's surveillance and there's security. And you know this because you work in a, in a casino, Eddie. Surveillance does nothing but watch. And when they see something that they don't like, they'll trigger security to react to it. Vegas's depth of security and security management is the deepest in the world. If you come to Vegas and learn it there, you can probably write a ticket and go any place you want, right? Because you'll have such a depth of experience. With 45 million tourists a year coming into Vegas, can you imagine the depths of security responsibilities and functions that exist? So my answer to you is, buddy, go where the growth opportunity is. Go where the job opportunity is. Don't settle for what's there. And I think one of the biggest mistakes people make, Eddie, in life is they, they limit themselves before they start. For me, I wasn't limited. I would work day, I would work night, I would work seven days a week, and I'd go to any city that had the opportunity. So when I was younger, probably about your age, I moved 11 times in five years. Because every time I, I did so well, every time I got a hotel or a restaurant back in those days as a manager, the revenues would go up. So they'd move me, Eddie, to a bigger place. And then they'd move me again and move me again. And I found that if I wasn't willing to move in the hotel business, there wasn't a bigger property for them to send me to. So I had to move to advance. Well, in five years, I moved 11 times, but my income went up 800% during those five years. Had I limited myself geographically or limited myself in job scope or limited myself in the types of people that I would work for, the types of companies that I would work for, I would never have achieved that success. Buddy, my suggestion to you is if that's the business you want to be in, that's probably the city that you want to go to. Make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, that's, that's great. I've, I've never really lived outside of central Ohio, so the moving aspect's a little daunting, but something I'd probably be willing to do. There's a number of places you can get that are, you know, 30-day uh, places. You know, you can stay for 30 days. It, 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 you know, maybe you can pull two weeks vacation time, go out to Vegas. It's cheap to fly there. Get an extended stay hotel room, which isn't that much money, right? A couple hundred bucks a week or whatever it is. Uh, 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 go there for two weeks. Do a couple of interviews. See, what, see how you feel if you like it, if you have any interviews that are encouraging. And then come back home and think about it. That's my suggestion. Don't just move out there tomorrow. Go out there, stay in one of those places, sneak a week off or 10 days off, do that, go to a couple of interviews, talk to a couple of people. When you get back home, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to say that's not for me or you're going to be as excited as you've ever been when you pack your bags. Make sense? Yeah, it does. I hadn't thought of that. Thank you. My pleasure. Take care, buddy. Good luck. Great advice, John. Great advice. All right, let's head over to Drew in Cincinnati, uh, 23 years old, young guy, and uh, thinking about the bar business and needs some of your bar wisdom. Aha. Hey, John, how we doing? I'm doing great. How are you, man? I'm, I'm living the dream. I'm living the dream, yeah. So I'm out in uh, Cincinnati. I'm a recent college graduate, um, young professional. I just started working um, actually in Newport, Kentucky, if you're familiar with that area. Um, yep. I really feel that in Cincinnati, an untapped market is the nightclub business. Um, mm -hmm. There's not a whole lot of nightclubs. One actually recently just opened up 
downtown in the um, near the Reds district area, and it's doing great. So my question to you is, how are nightclubs currently doing? And if I were to start and attempt to open up one, what would be your advice on how I should go about it and um, maybe different themes that might work and aspects such as that? Sure. Uh, as a general, and I'm not big on generalizations, but generally mm-hmm. speaking, you know, right now nightclubs are closing around the world, not opening. And okay. some of the reason why, but that doesn't mean that that's the case where you live uh, 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 mm-hmm. in Cincinnati. I'm not suggesting that. Now, in Cincinnati, you have things like the Flats, right, which I'm told are doing pretty well these days, right? Those clubs have sort of come back, I'm told, and, yeah. and that's that's doing a lot better now. That's a good indicator of the area. So, so you know, to me, rather than doing one 20,000 or 12,000 square foot nightclub, I would probably do three venues in one place. So let me do, let me do it in simple terms. Rather than building one 15,000 square foot venue, I'd probably build three 5,000 square foot venues in the same building. I'd probably mm-hmm. have one be a really cool hip hop room. I'd probably have one be a really cool uh, hard rock and roll room. And mm-hmm. I'd probably have another one be more of a poppy kind of a room. And by having three different music formats and three different concepts in the same building, I now become a destination. And -hmm. I can target older, younger, male, female sports, non-sports, blah, 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 blah. And I have a much better opportunity for success. What what concerns me in today's nightclub world is when we open one single bigger venue and we're only playing one music type at a time, uh, 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 that can narrow audience too much. So... Take a look at, rather than thinking of a nightclub, think of doing two nightclubs next to each other that are a little smaller or three nightclubs next to each other that are, and creating a really cool destination. And, you know, and it it could be, uh, uh, you know, Charles nightclub with three venues underneath Mm -hmm. it or the, the, um, Kentucky clubs or Kentucky live with three venues underneath it or some name along those lines. I had a name in mind if uh, you would like to hear it. Yeah, brand brand the venue and then brand the clubs mm-hmm. underneath it is the point I'm making. Yeah, Does that make sense? I completely understand, John. John, how would you feel about the name Nova, like N O V A? Do you think that name would play well? Nova, you know, I I know it, it has a astrological meaning, if I'm not mistaken, right? And Nova, I believe, is yeah, a black hole it, in yeah, space. Yeah, I think it's a Latin something. term. Yeah, I'll tell you something funny. We find that nightclubs that end in the word A tend to do pretty well. So, you know, really? Nova is a pretty good one. Lava is another one that, that Jason Strauss and the strategic guys have in New York and Vegas. But, yeah, Nova is a fine name. There's nothing wrong with that name. It sounds like a great market. I tell you, I, I would really look at doing a rock room and a hip-hop room and maybe a sports room right next to each other. You know, one is just a cool bar with a lot of beer mm-hmm. and stuff in it. The other is a really cool rock and roll bar, almost like mm-hmm. a, a rock dance club, if you will. And the other is a really mm-hmm. cool hip-hop room. I would consider yeah. doing the three of them in one building, and I, and I bet you dominate. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate it. I, I didn't even think about splitting it up into three different rooms. That's a great idea. Great, man. That's why that's why I do what I do. Take care, buddy. That's why, that's why you're the king of the bar business. <laughs> Thanks. Take care. All right, Casey, we're almost out of time here, but I got to remind everybody, please hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts or go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app, and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. And look, we had some great calls this week. I'd love it if you'd call in. Just send a note to podcast at johntafford.com, podcast at johntafford.com, and we'll get you on a show, and we'll talk and challenge me. Let's go at it. Let's have some fun here. 
I love doing this podcast every week, and I can't wait to talk to you all next week. I'll still be down here in Puerto Rico, so while you, a lot of you are freezing your butts off, think of me down here in the Caribbean sun. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to No Excuses with John Taffer on Podcast One. Download new episodes every Tuesday here on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. 